You're listening to the Arise to Speak pod, part of the Arise networking platform, which aims to inspire, educate, and uplift young black female creatives. Join as we discuss social and cultural issues and delve into what it truly means to be a creative today. Hi guys, welcome back to the Rise to Speak pod. We're your host, Zoe and Olivia, and in this episode, we're talking about blatant racism, microaggressions, and tokenism. It really has been a minute since we've yeah, done a podcast. Um, our bad. You know, <laughs> the, the panoramic just had us, you know. But we're here. Going. If you guys want to catch up with us outside of our podcast, we are definitely more regular on Instagram. So definitely give mm-hmm. us, you know, a little follow, check out what we're doing at the moment. But obviously, like we said, we're talking about racism. So I was been looking at some articles and the one is called The Conversation. Yeah. And they were kind of looking at the idea of like in England, they believe that there's like two sorts of racism. Mm-hmm. So they think the first one is racist beliefs and the second one is discriminatory practices. So like racist beliefs would be like like unconscious bias like we spoke about before Mm. and like the belief that kind of like it's bred into you and it's kind of like your set ways. Mm. So um, they actually asked like a sample of the British public basically they asked them a question on biological racism which is basically what I was saying like that idea that like racism is kind of like inbred into Mm. you they found out that 18% of the British public agreed that some races and ethnic groups are born less intelligent than others oh (laughs) so it just like that is like a prime example of like racist beliefs and like Mm. and then the other idea is discriminatory practices so that's kind of like how um for example, when you're applying for jobs, and I know it's quite a hard time right now, but basically saying that how, like, if you have a more of the English-sounding names like James or Emily, uh, yep. you're more likely to receive um, some form of feedback from an application than someone who has got maybe an African, Caribbean or Pakistani name. I feel like a prime, prime, prime... I've already touched on Meghan and Harry. Mm. But a prime example of blatant racism is Meghan and Harry. This, especially the topic of yeah. the colour of their baby, Archie. Yeah. It actually hurt. Like, when I watched that interview with Oprah, like, mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just felt so sorry for her. And I just hate it when everyone is picking on her. Just leave her alone. I just think, like, at the end of the day, people have painted her in this light and they're not going to look away from it because they want a villain. Yeah. I feel terrible for her because, like, the way that they've painted her and the way that they've put her out to be, like, this, like, changed Harry and his views and everything. Harry's been saying these things since day dot. Harry's got his own He's mind. always... Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. They're acting like she just kidnapped him, forced him to marry him and changed his whole mentality, like... He's she like the cult of Megan or something. Yeah, and I feel sorry for her because I feel like as like a mixed race woman as well, like she's gonna feel mm. so like in the middle as in like obviously her mum's full black, she's half black, mm. but her dad is white and also her husband's family is white. So it's like she's mm. receiving a lot of abuse and her child is mm. also 
part of them and they have treated her like yeah. like s-h-i-t he is british and the way that they have treated her it's like if i was her i wouldn't even want to come back like yeah but the thing that just boggles my mind the most is speaking about her being mixed race like imagine if she was fully black like imagine if Archie was like half because black and half baby, white. It's so Literally. Light. So why are they even having conversations? It just about, it just oh, confuses me. It's not gonna come up. Oh, anyways, I'm not gonna get I'm getting annoyed. But anyway, yeah. an example of blatant <laughs> racism, obviously, Megan and Harry. I think people are neglecting the fact that there is a child within this whole situation. If you're an ethnic minority, you'll understand that. Once you come out of that stomach, <laughs> once you come out of that womb, do you know what I mean? Yeah. People have something to say. Um, and like I feel like that's a big thing I think it's good for us to like kind of break down into sections how it affects you in different phases of your life I guess and how it kind of changes because it is still with you like mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you can yeah. appreciate as well mm-hmm. Zoe that you probably not probably you have experienced racism in your mm-hmm. childhood and so have I the, the thing is you don't really it's not really spoken much about how young it starts. I can't remember an age where it's like, oh, this is the day people start being racist. Yeah, like, no. literally. I can't, I can't pinpoint an actual, like, period. I do remember something happened in primary school um, with, like, because a lot of people thought I was Asian because the only minorities that were in my class was Asian people. And obviously, I'm yeah, light-skinned. I'm more ambiguous. Yeah, so people thought I was Asian. So if they were well, trying to be... Asian. I don't think so either, but anyway, they saw brown skin, they thought, yeah, Asian. So whenever they were trying to be, yeah. like, rude or think they're bad or whatever, they'd use the P word and think, oh, yeah, like, I got her. <laughs> in reality. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, I knew it was a bad word, but I was really just sat there thinking... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> me? <laughs> and that's what it is. I feel like there's a sense of, like, there, there's blatant racism and there's also racism in terms of them... As in lack of education, identifying that just mm. because you're brown doesn't mean you're Asian. Yeah. And like the lack yeah. of education there. Because at my school, I got, well, in my childhood, I got, when I went to brownies, I got called brownie all the time. Mm. Like, oh, you're brownie. Like, they used to think it was funny. I called, got called the N word in the park before. I didn't even know what that was. Wow. Because like, my parents never told me. I was think I was only young. And then I was playing with my friends who were all white at this time. And they were like, Olivia, like, you shouldn't let them say that to you because that's a racist word. And I, that kind of hurts me because it's like, how did I not know that that was racist? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was on the swings. I remember it was just a little boy and he called me the, um, an n-word that's awful and I, was just like, huh? I think that's quite interesting to like i mean we probably could make a whole other episode in that but like the implications of like growing up in a predominantly white mm. like background and like having insensitive things being said or yeah, just in like general we, like our experience is slightly different because ours is not just white it's white and asian yeah yeah well i don't justify the word of the p word so what they call you zoe no i don't justify it Either way, I just... What I was going to say when you mentioned that you didn't know the meaning of the N-word, like, I remember asking my parents... Because I knew it was a bad word. I just didn't understand, like, yeah. like, exactly what it... The implications of it. So I think I heard someone say it, and then I came home and I was asking my parents, and I, fe- I remember feeling so, like... 
Like it was a dirty word. Yeah. Like it was like it's like I just came to my parents and swore at them. That's what I, I felt like, like I was yeah, doing. I was like, what is and, that word? Yeah, and I remember my parents being so quiet and they were just looking at me and they were like, Did someone call you that? And I was like, No, I just heard it. Oh. And then they, obviously they explained what it was, but I just remember feeling so like dirty like saying yeah. it and just like i feel dirty looking just so back confused at it, like, it was oh, weird my god. Like, i told my daddy oh my god he was so vexed he marched me back down to that park to find that boy <laughs> good good we never found him Honestly. but i didn't know what it meant at that time i didn't understand what was going on god forbid he didn't find the boy <laughs> yeah. like obviously this was like primary school days but um I was looking mm. at obviously the I was looking at the conversation article again. They've got some good stuff on there. Sorry. Um. So basically, like so we said before about like experiencing racism from peers in her ex like her childhood experiences. But obviously, like I said, some people experience racism from their teachers. And the example of this was like some um teenagers felt like some teachers mm-hmm. favoured the white students or did not fairly distribute punishment. Basically, their findings were, mm-hmm. their conclusion was that they feel like this is happening because of the underrepresentation in the education system, similar to, like, a lot of industries yeah. are, what's it called, underrepresented, like the creative industries. And it just kind of comes to show how mm. how can you expect to change what's going on with maybe your work colleagues or the students at the school if the people that are teaching them or the people that are hiring them don't look like them. You, there's only a certain point that you can understand. There's a lot of like studies that have gone on to see how like young black children are being um, affected by racism at such a young age. Mm. And a a lot of them have seen that black children are often subject to adultification, which essentially just means that in schools, teachers will look at a black child and see them more as like an adult. They yeah. won't offer the same sympathy as they would to a child, to some to a child who's not really aware of like their actions. And they're more likely to console, you know, white counterparts more than the black children. And this often results to them seeing I know. And yeah, and they're seen as being like less innocent and they're labelled as being more intentionally disruptive, talkative Mm. or a distraction. And I remember seeing a, I'm sure I've talked about this before in a podcast, a documentary about how um, black children in reception, there's a lot of discrimination there and they're more likely to be thrown out, especially young black boys. This woman was basically saying she moved her son to a different um, reception and it was more like diverse and like I guess the teachers were just more understanding and this is like the longest time he's been in school well in reception and they were saying that he's just improved so much like he understands now like his behavior and everything and I think it's just more of like the nurturing and just kind of like yeah because I feel like that really impacts your education and then it kind of buys into that idea of like obviously if you're not investing Mm. in those then how is he going to meant to achieve do you know what I mean and it just kind of buys into that cycle like when children are told this they'll believe it and they'll be more withdrawn in class and see themselves as being less than and when you think about those implications at such a young age like when you get older like there'll be less of a will to like express themselves 
um they'll teach themselves to be like more silent and views that matter and it's really damaging when you think of like all the injustice that black children are more likely to face especially growing up so they'll have this idea of being like silenced from childhood and that's what i mean it starts from early before you can even like conceive any of this yeah it's like it's just like it's already happening to you you don't even understand why exactly you probably don't even know how to spell racism and yet you're affected <laughs> by it. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, when people are like, oh, what are you? I used to call myself a mixed grace. I didn't say race. I didn't even know what mixed grace what race was. I'm like, I'm, I'm mixed grace. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what even? Yeah, I'm mixed grace. <laughs> Gracing you all my presence, that's why. <laughs> See, it just shows, like, so I guess it, you could argue about, like, uh, biological racism and... Because you can't argue that racism is not, it's not in you, it's taught. So obviously, we've talked about our personal experiences and childhood. So now we're going to move on to the next phase, which is obviously the workplace. And I just want to ex- talk about blatant racism in the workplace and microaggressions, because I feel like this is something mm. that, I know people have experienced it's just something that as an ethnic minority you will experience it and there's no way to get around it do you know what I mean with this system so um, I was looking and on the University of Manchester website because they did some research into racial equality just in the workforce altogether and how we receive racism over 70 percent of ethnic minority workers they they have experienced racial harassment at work in the last five years and around 60 percent say they have been subjected to unfair treatment by their employers because of their race and almost half of them have been subject to verbal abuse and racist jokes 70 percent have experienced wow. racial harassment that at is work. so this high is 2021 like shocked but not surprised do you know what I mean? Like, it is, it's a shocking statistic, but at the same time, I'm not surprised. It's, it's definitely not something I agree with, and I think, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll just kind of let it slide. Like, absolutely not. But at the same time, like, I just feel like I'm numb to these sort of statistics because I just hear it all the time, and yeah. it's just kind of like, right, so what are well, we going to do about it, you know? Me, let me bring it to life for you, all right? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so I kind of want to link it to the creative industries, and I've got some examples of students, designers, um, who have experienced racism because like you said it's so easy especially if you're not an ethnic minority to hear all these statistics but not really understand like what it really means I can't say his name that's Yinka Ilori yeah um, basically he is a designer and he designed um, a colourful palace commission I think it was the architectural piece I'm not quite sure he's obviously black and people were commenting and being very quite stereotypical mm-hmm. towards his work, saying it would be better assembled in Lagos Shantytown where it might provide some shelter for starving millions who live there. I'm sorry, but you wouldn't say that to a white designer. They wouldn't have said... That's so cheeky. Why, why Lagos? Why Shantytown? Like, I'm like, imagine that. You might as well do it in Shantytown, mate. For, do you know what I mean? That's just so rude. I just don't understand why everyone just thinks that, like... Africa is just mud huts. Yeah, Africa is a rich place as well, you know. Exactly, it's so vast. But you know what? This could be going into how the media perpetuates this whole idea of Africa as being less than, which could be a whole different topic of discussion. That's another podcast. That's that's another one. (laughs) Be 
speaking about young designers and how they experience racism in the creative industries. Um, this woman, she's called Alexandra Jerley, Dali, the founder of Dali Design and a tutor. So basically, this woman, Alexandra, she had students, they were going out for interviews and placements, and they were basically, they were reporting back to her saying like their employers were greeted them with surprise looks and told mm. them that they were not what they was expecting them to look like. Wow. Or told them that they wouldn't fit the image of the brand. Promotions were being passed over instead of them like getting promotions. It's quite gross in my opinion, sorry. It's disgusting. It kind of links onto like the racism experienced by students in university. So according to the Art Council, they were basically suggesting the percentage of minority and like black minority children that get the opportunity or choose to take the roles, you know, like at GCSE and A-level and further Mm. and to specialise in the creative arts is lower. And they were saying like one of the reasons is because they believe that parental perceptions play a role in encouraging or discouraging consideration of careers i guess that is a we've spoken about this before that some people don't class creative arts a legit career yeah Um, like i remember when i was doing my dissertation i was looking at like how parental views can affect you know the way you grow up and see the creative industry and stuff essentially like by the arts council as well they were talking about how it's not very common for ethnic minority parents to sort of foster like creativity as a hobby simply because of the fact that like for I don't really know how to word it but you know like no, if there's I like events going on or there's, or there's certain things that they can do like they probably don't have the time to or you know yeah the money the money you know or maybe it's just like in terms of like the area and stuff maybe it's underfunded in the area that they're living in so it's harder for them to you know put their kids in yeah a, a after school club or whatever that's something that's creative i think it's just accessibility yeah yeah accessibility and money yeah you know what i mean because it buys into that idea of a lot of the creative industry is male white rich males because they had the opportunities yeah to do this do you know what i mean like they, they could have like, like oh i'm gonna put our jimmy in um a fine art class and yeah then he's going to do glass blowing after school yeah and then he's going to do croquet <laughs> but I I do feel like it does have a big impact on your childhood because like I remember when I was little I used to love going to the library I was such a little nerd um and I said about that it said about that yeah and I used to go to like the art section and see like books on like how to draw or like they'd have like these free workshops that you could go into and like just kind of they used to do that yeah I don't know like I feel like that obviously did foster something within me because i do like doing creative things now obviously so it does have an impact what you what you decide to nurture in your child and what you decide to think actually let's encourage them to do something different yeah because you don't need to go to all them fancy things like you said the library yeah i just want to say like one thing that upsets me now is because like again me being the little nerd me loving the library as a child it opened me up to so many different things that i probably wouldn't have access to and seeing now that a lot of like communities and like libraries are being shut down simply because of it being underfunded and 
just think yeah. about how much that's going to affect children in this generation now like obviously you have computers and stuff but not everyone has access to them and access to learning yeah things. and it's socialization as well yeah. isn't it you can sit in your room and glue on your computer, but when you go into the library, you saw like adults, you saw kids from different yeah. races. It's again, it's just like access. It's access and it's limitations. And that was one of the reasons why um, they found that yeah, parents didn't really encourage mm. the career in arts, but they also found that another reason was is because they created workforce is not representation of the population not representative of the population Mm. this one interviewee commented saying like she looks at art and work and things that you know you get taught at school and she said that it was hard enough to source a black and ethnic minority authors um and all her illustrations that she got taught at school and stuff was almost entirely white white authors or artists so it was nothing that was really fostered yeah yeah and I feel like if it's definitely something that's like to do with like the classics like they'll always focus on like Leonardo da Vinci or like you know like all these white famous paintings like obviously when you look at that industry it's very white and male dominated but like say if you wanted to go into like classical music or something like that the history of that the way it's been whitewashed like I couldn't imagine trying to find like representation for that to be like again easily accessible to you while you're learning it like you'd have to go out and try and find it for yourself when they put that in like the curriculums and stuff that's that all you're gonna know yeah like this is the best of the best i don't remember getting Uh, so like following on from that, I don't know if you guys have recently seen, but there was a documentary on BBC Three called Is Uni Racist? And it was done by Linda Aidy. In the documentary, she looks at research from the Equalities of Human Rights Commission that was published in 2019. Basically, she found out that four of the black and other ethnic minority students that took part in the survey had experienced racial harassment since their course started. And two-thirds of students who said they had experienced this didn't report it to their university. So obviously you can see that there isn't an open conversation. It's not sort of an environment that they feel like they can express injustice that's happened to them. And also with the sense that they also believe that if they were to report it, they'd be seen as like a troublemaker or the complaint might impact their course or just in general that universities wouldn't take it seriously and there is histories of them not taking it serious yeah and then another thing is like when a lot when people were talking about their experiences they were saying that things were only being done if it was put out on social media and the post had gone viral it shouldn't have to go onto social media and go viral for them to do something about it this is how people are exactly so With the rise of, like, Black Lives Matter and more discussions being opened up, I guess, you know, we always talk about how the door is slowly being cracked open recently. Um, In the industry, we're starting to be more self-reflective and people are starting to think about how they can be more diverse and the way that they think about hiring processes. And I saw a lot, especially last year, a lot of people on social media were posting job announcements and they were specifically targeting, like, black or ethnic minorities and just kind of saying, like... 
I love that. Yeah. I look down on Twitter and see like just some random white people coming up in the comments like, I'm equally as qualified as this. Like you guys are talking about discrimination. Well, I feel discriminated against. Like this isn't fair. You know what you have to do to them ones? Shh, Karen. Exactly. <laughs> Shut up, Karen. <laughs> but <laughs> all that isn't the point of the hiring process. Like, uh, when you think about the whole bigger picture, a lot of minorities are overlooked due to unconscious biases and stereotypes that limit their opportunities as a whole. And this is just a chance to level the playing field. So these people coming in with their ignorance, it's just nonsense. Plain and simple. Honestly, Zoe. We, we shouldn't have to have... You shouldn't have to have a separate job section for ethnic minorities. Exactly. That's the... Yeah. Yeah. On the back end of that, there's tokenism. And tokenism as itself is a practice of doing something to prevent criticism and to give the appearance that people are being treated fairly. And it comes in various forms. Um, and the question I want to ask, Olivia, do you ever feel like you've been tokenised or have been in a situation where you're like the token black girl or whatever? I have been in friendships before mm. where I felt used. I thought they were my friend, but then I felt like, they like males that were of my ethnicity. Mm. So they use me to get to them or like try and copy how I dress mm. because they thought it was, um, you know who yeah, I know. Yeah, I know who you know <laughs> Like you were the golden ticket to... Um... Yeah, like I was the golden yeah. ticket for them to get a black boy and have mixed race children. Like they literally copied me to a T. Mm. And like, I felt like, as soon as they lost interest in the black boys and stuff, they lost interest in me. Looking back, yeah, I was very much, <laughs> very much a talking friend. Yeah. I mean? But there's nothing I can do about it right now. Is yeah, it? well, that's just like a prime <laughs> example. Like, it's not always just about, you know, it being in industry. It happens in, like, daily life as well. But bringing it back to tokenism and hiring, it's essentially used as an effort to meet like neuro oh girl numeric numerical diversity goals or to create the appearance of diversity without actually making like genuine effective changes again we've talked about this before of like diversity being a trend and like businesses kind of want to hop on yeah it's not beneficial to minorities because they're going to be seen as like a box to check off and if you're in that situation it'll be so apparent it's not going to be effective that you can tell when someone's just doing something just for performative reasons. Well, we were thinking of like ways that in which you can kind of avoid tokenism. You're trying to make efforts for diversity. So one of the things we were thinking of is, you know, employees should think of ways to make their job listings more accessible and appealing to diverse range of people. So just kind of think to yourselves, like, why is inclusion important? Like, to you and for your business and what it can bring to the company as in you know diversity needs to be done for the right reasons like diversity when it's used for good is a way of like allowing people from different backgrounds different experiences to bring in parts of how they see the project or how they navigate working and you kind of need to think about how you can create an inclusive space for all for example not just having a token black person to check for like cultural insensitivity and again 
Employees need to think about what influence a minority group will have within their company. So it's all well and good like hiring people, but if you're not giving them a chance to have their say and have an impact in the workplace, then there's not really much point to it. So, for example, if you have a low percentage of women to men in meetings, projects or like votes or whatever, you've got to think to yourself, do they have the same influence as the men do? If they don't, then obviously that's not going to be beneficial to diversity because it's all well and good having them there for show. It's not useful. And then lastly, token photos and like representation. I feel like a lot of the times companies will just like bring all their minorities to the front for a photograph and just kind of show how diverse they are. And it's it's so obvious. And it's like, like, really? Like, okay. I feel like if they did like more of a natural implementation of like the whole team and just even if you are going to be showing minorities which is a good thing just show them in like a natural working environment like they're working with a team or like they're leading or working with projects and showing their expertise like don't just throw all of them in the front like they might not even want the picture taken like it might be by force you'll see it in their eyes (laughs) yeah they're just looking in the camera like (laughs) someone help me like it's sounding very much like what's it called get out (laughs) that's what it's sounding like Anyway, and I feel like the whole reason why I came onto the topic of tokenism, I told you about this already, but with the, I was watching Ugly Betty, shout out to everyone who likes Ugly Betty because I love it. Um, In season three, episode nine, Betty was the token ethnic girl for this program that she wanted to do as being... I love how you just, sorry, I love how you told us exactly when. (laughs) (laughs) I had to Google it because I couldn't remember, like, if you want to be fact-checking, you know? Um, But, yeah, so, like, if you don't know what... I haven't really said what Ugly Betty is. You know what Ugly Betty is. (laughs) If you don't know, get to know. If you don't know what Ugly Betty is, you're not old enough, all right, to be Mm. on here. And if you you haven't watched it, watch it, because it's real good. Anyway, um... Yeah, so Betty, she's working towards being like this editor and she goes for this Yeti program and essentially she wasn't really as prepared. She only found out about it like a few days before. So she only did like a few days of work. Whereas another guy who wanted to do it, who was, I guess, her friend at the workplace, he had been working for months to try and get this position. Oh, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And essentially like... When she got the place, he was, like, just so fuming. He was like, you don't deserve the place. Like, I worked so long and blah, blah, blah. And he was basically saying, like, the only reason why they hired you is because you're Latina and they want, like, their token minority. And she was like, no, 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 that's not a thing. But in reality, they even said, yeah, it's kind of like what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. And I... That's so funny. Literally, and that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way because I was thinking to myself, like, I know this is, what, like, a decade old now, this show or whatever... But it's still like it's still a thing that's prevalent today. But the thing is, though, when it's like that, mm. I feel like you have to use it for your advantage. Yeah, you have to play the game. A hundred percent. With that episode as well, it kind of led us to think about the fact that you know, when you look at it as a whole, they're both marginalized because Mark is a gay man, and they did bring up this conversation as well in the show, and that kind of brought us on to think of the idea of like oppression Olympics and the, how toxic it is. Now, if you don't know what Oppression Olympics is, it's defined as a competition of marginalised people to determine, like, the weight of their oppression. And it's kind of like the comparison of, like, race and gender or, like, socioeconomic class. Just, like, all these different things. And they're trying to figure out, like, you know what, I'm the worst oppressed or 
she's the worst oppressed. Yeah. But I feel like the whole thing just invalidates other people's experiences. A prime example of this, yeah, we posted about this, was was Loose Woman was talking about Meghan and Harry and the interview, and this woman was like, Charlene, Charlene White was on there and was saying about her struggles as a black woman often getting marginalised as being aggressive. And then Jim was like, well, I'm a woman and I get called aggressive. And I was like, that is a perfect example of oppression mm. Olympics. Like, you have just took her truth and you have, like, denied her truth and said, yeah. and you made it about yourself. Yeah, right off the back of that, like... It sounds tone deaf when you're faced with the realities of current situations or the space that you're speaking in. Obviously, this was a time, if you look at what was happening with loose women, this was a time for a black woman to speak. This has been happening a lot with, obviously, you know, Black Lives Matter. And there's like a grief, there's a group of people who are grieving at the moment because of this unjust acts that are happening. And then people will be coming in like... This isn't the space. If you want a space to talk about your things, go and do it wherever you want to do. But why would you now be going into a space where you know all these things are happening and you have to come in with like irrelevant opinions that have nothing to do with the topic and just being like, well, this happens to this certain group of people or this, that and the other. Like, why can't you just allow people to have their space to speak? Like, let them have their safe space. Let them be, man. <laughs> exactly. And you can, have, you can have conversations with people who may be from... I've experienced different things but you've kind of got to think about if what you're going to say next is going to invalidate the other person's Someone experience else's. um so like coming to the end of the podcast i didn't want to leave them like a negative so basically there was this quote jada byron she's a second year university student it's from an article called mad about the house and i've just really liked what she said and she basically said it is hard to avoid the fact that there is a lack of diversity and a lack of representation for ethnic minorities as a young black woman and an up-and-coming designer i believe that the next generation is critical in changing this creating a platform like this could be a stepping stone to giving a voice to those who are underrepresented and miss opportunity and missed opportunities because of the color of their skin um and i just feel like that's kind of just kind of sums up what we're kind of doing mm. as in the sense of yeah, we can try and change the people that are already out in the industry, but we can also try and change what we're doing now. Yeah. Those designers that are coming up. And a perfect document for you guys to look at if you want to kind of make a change or to understand more about what we're speaking about is called Creative Diversity, and it is the state of diversity in the UK's creative industries of what we can do about that, what you can do as a company. Mm some useful reading yes because you know what we are the future Zoe exactly I I do agree with that as well I feel like I feel like our generation I feel like there will be a difference because a lot of people are opening up conversations like I feel like this definitely is a generation of connecting through experiences I, I can see a big change yeah if because I feel that like our generation is one of the most accepting in terms of gender, in terms of race, in terms of forward-thinking yeah. generation. And I feel like if we all took on that... I think there's no excuse nowadays not to really... That's it, there's no excuse. Yeah, there's so much resources out there, there's so many discussions happening and, you know, you just have to put yourself out there and try and find... It's not even that hard to find, really. If you're on social media, you'll see it. <laughs> Even Honestly, if it's not in your circle, social. to have these conversations, you can still be a part of them by joining 
worldwide conversations that are happening and they're current and they're there so that's it i hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast i know it's been long awaited well i hope it's been long awaited <laughs> anyway <laughs> so i don't even get to the bloody end <laughs> be sure to keep an eye out on our social media so arise underscore creatives um also be sure to check out our latest like initiative what we're doing is it is the black creative experience we will have part two of our event yes we will fire the elements we didn't forget about that you know again life got in the way but don't worry guys (laughs) we'll be back if you'd like to support us further we now have a gofundme account it's not like we're not pushing it yeah if you can you can (laughs) if you can't you can't that's cool thanks guys thanks for listening adios bye